1: That's eight hundred seven six oh, eighteen forty five.
2: You guys, it's Rick Tittle.
3: All right. Hey, thank you for that. And uh, welcome to another live edition of Titillating Sports. Yes, two for Tuesday. Double shots with Judas Priest and UFO. Uh, How was your holiday? Isn't it interesting that is the antithesis of labor that we call it Labor Day. What day is this? This is work day. So everybody works. Actually, everybody doesn't work. Oh, at least you're not supposed to be working. Anyway, great to be back with you. And uh, taking your calls uh, at uh, 1-800-878-PLAY. There's also the powdered sugar text line at 995 225 You can send me a text that way as well. Or just use my home phone number, 510 520 And you can get to me that way as well coast to coast, and also around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, National Guard, Space Force, Delta Force, whatever you're with, you're doing a great job. And uh, thank you for setting aside all your plans and being away from your friends and family. And I know for some of you it's a dream come true to be away from your friends and family, but for most of you, I think you probably miss them (laughs) at least a little bit. So, uh, anyway... Thanks, uh, whatever and however you roll in our military. That's our roll, y'all. Okay. Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, they all get us. Um, also, uh, CRN Digital Plus 2, the cable radio network channel, to you, cable provider. Uh, we stream through sportsbyline.com. Go there, click Lesson Live, and emails Rick at sportsbyline.com. Uh, today on the show, we have the College Football Hall of Famer and longtime NFL defender Chris Zorich. He will join us. We'll talk a little college football uh, as well. Other titillating guests. Tomorrow, Shaquille O'Neal on the show. How about that? A little shack attack in the paint for you. Foul him and let him throw some bricks up. We'll do that. Twitter is at Rick Tittle, and we'll come on back and do a show.
4: Angie's List is now Angie. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or you're planning your dream renovation, Angie connects you with top local pros who can get the job done right. See reviews, compare quotes, and book hundreds of projects. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, we'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with our happiness guarantee. Check out Angie.com and for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen
1: That's 800-846-2153.
6: or prevent any disease.
7: Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is key. so handsome? He's a genius.
3: Alrighty then, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, got very hush. Uh, Also around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Feel free to chime in that way Uh, as well. We're on twitch.tv. Go ahead and get your Twitch on, girl. Uh, Just search for sportsbyline.com as well. NFL, different cuts one way or the other. We'll take a look at your team. How is your team doing? What is your team doing? What happened? What happened to you, after all? You know, really, what happened? We'll get into all that. Uh, Also, um, off-season news in the NBA and NHL. And, uh, of course, we'll take a look at MLB. As my Oakland A's are really sinking like a rock. And uh, I was just saying... Uh, the other day, that it didn't look like uh, they were a playoff team. In fact, that was about two weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like I'm uh, right about that. But we'll get into that as well, one eight hundred eight seven eight play But what I did on um, Saturday night is uh, I went to uh, a Cal game over at Memorial Stadium in Strawberry Canyon and it's uh, it's been a while. When uh, Jared Goff was there, I went to an Arizona State game, but I sat in the uh, press box. This time I went with Peeps, and I uh, I sat in the crowd, and that's something that I I don't re- remember the last time I sat in the crowd because I'm so great. But um, it was an interesting matchup because, you know, a cow my whole life, and your whole life if you're – Basically, seventy years, seventy-five years old. Is that Cal will put about five or six guys every NFL draft into the league, but while they're at Berkeley, they'll stink. That's just what Cal does. They have not won a Rose Bowl since the fifties. It's just what they do. They're they're very good at the mediocrity, and uh, so Cal's, Cal was playing UNR, or they like to be called just now Nevada. They don't, like, California is just California. You don't have to say Cal Berkeley. Nevada's trying to get rid of that UNR thing because they were the first Nevada, and then UNLV came in. It's sort of like UCLA, even though they stole one of Cal's fight songs, too. We are sons of California. Like, you can't even get their own song. But uh, still, Nevada was favored because they have this quarterback, Carson Strong, who is from Vacaville. Vacaville is a town that's a little bit south of Sacramento and the fringes of the Bay Area. Would I include Vacaville in the Bay Area? Uh, I would include it as a uh, Bay Area uh, town, uh, barely, but they're in there. And this is a kid who I guess missed his whole senior year with a knee injury. He wanted to go to Cal, and uh, Cal was like, meh. And when um, Jason Wilcox, the head coach of Cal, was asked about it before the game, he said, look, we can't get every kid from Northern California. Okay, we missed on him. I, I say we missed on him because this kid now, Carson Strong, uh, some people think that he could be the first quarterback taken in the draft. The last mock I had him was at nine. He's six foot four, 214 pounds. Um. And I remember watching the game. Uh, well, it wasn't hard to remember. It was just Saturday night, but Cal got off to a fourteen nothing lead, and they just were pounding it. And Nevada looked like they had no defense. And I thought, wow, you know, everything I read said that Nevada was going to win this game, and uh, this is just Pac-12 uh, beating down on Mountain West right now. But yet again, showing why the Pac-12 is so weak. And you think about how Stanford looked. You think about Washington, who they lose to, Montana. It's just, it, we are at the nadir of the Pac-12 right now. I mean, this is the lowest it has ever been. <clears throat> and so 14 nothing lead, and Cal is this guy, Chase Garbers, who was awful. But Carson Strong wasn't impressing me at all. He was throwing some worm burners. He was late on some throws. In fact, his first three throws were behind the receivers who were wide open. And you could say, oh, it's nerves. He's playing, and it's basically his home stadium, in quotes, family and friends. It was national television. It was Fox Sports 1. It was a, it was a Saturday night. He knows the uh, the scouts are looking at him to see if he really is a, a first-round pick or not. And if you would take them before Spencer Radler and some of these other guys. And right when I said to my peeps, and I was sitting in the very, 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 very back row in the Nevada end zone, far away from the students, I've always um, wondered when I went to Cal games, how these kids got into Cal. I've never seen a stupider bunch of people in my life (laughs) just (laughs) just start craving and these poor girls, it's a night game and they're all wearing tube tops or crop tops, whatever it is, the, the show your stomach midriff is back. And uh, that just shows you that deep down men, in fact, are in charge of fashion. Because I don't think most women would want to like have their bare midriff exposed. And so deep down it's like, no, this is what you guys picked. Oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. But anyway, <clears throat> these children, they were all drunk. And, of course, they're just swapping Delta. Uh, hopefully not. But anyway, swapping Delta is near my podcast, by the way. You might want to check it out. But right when I was be sort of saying, boy, this Carson Strong hasn't done a damn thing, he uncorks this beautiful 50-yard uh, pass, uh, and Cal was kind of stunned by it. It was a rec- And by the way, he did, I'll give him this, he did have three drops. So when he was missing his receivers, that was his bad, then he hid the receiver, and then they would... And so just all of a sudden, or... Whenever I wrote all of a sudden in uh, any English class, it would always get crossed out in a red line, and they would write suddenly. Apparently English teachers don't like all of a sudden. I'll say it on my show. All of a sudden, uh, Nevada uh, has taken the lead, which they wouldn't relinquish. And Cal Laid had a chance for a first down, and uh, they had their guy drop it. Also, bonehead interception by Garbers. And then, of course, people are tweeting garbage. You don't want to be an athlete in nowadays with... Uh, with the Twitter, but, um, it's when I was telling my, my, uh, my peeps, they're like, well, we got to get there early. I said, it's going to be half full. They're like, no, no, no. It's a night game. It's opening night. I said, it's going to be half full. It is a Cal game, just like a Stanford game. It will be half full. Now, if it was the big game, then yes, it was going to be packed. Or let's say Alabama was in town. Okay. But no, it's Cal UNR. It will be half full. And it was half full. So uh, Carson Strong and the latest mock, as I said, is at uh, nine right now, and so he right now has a chance to be a first round quarterback as long as he just plays. I would think just reasonably well, because people will love the size at six foot four, and they'll love that big arm that he has as well. But remember that offense—that sort of still Chris Alt pistol offense. A lot of it is very, very run-and-shoot, Mouse Davis, Rich Campbell type of uh, little dinky-dunky passes. And uh, so uh, a a really terrible first half for that kid. But in the end, they won. What does he care? And um, uh, so anyway, it was just good to see the college experience again. and, And just like I said, even though hopefully people weren't swapping Delta hashtag with each other, It was nice just to sit in a stadium with thousands and thousands of people. I was far away with a mask on, but still, it was just nice to just go. Rick, if you were really scared of Delta, you never would have gone at all. I'm vaxxed with a mask. I still might get it. I'm sorry. I wanted to go to a football game. Now I'm arguing with myself. We'll take a quick break, and we will come on back on Sports Byland.
1: eight hundred six nine three eight two nine oh. That's eight hundred six nine three eighty two ninety. Come
8: on, you watch the news. Be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. Oh, <laughs> Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them 5000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer First. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than 1000 If you owe the IRS 5,000 or more in back taxes, call now
1: for a free consultation. Call 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. That's 800-732-9635.
9: 800-306-1760.
1: 800 306 That's 800-306-1760.
10: Where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Right there.
7: and the power trigger done. of
11: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
3: All right, whatever works. Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's great to welcome to the show. Representing the Heritage Auction site is Barry Sandoval, and he's joining us to talk about an auction that's going to be coming up in a couple days on uh, the 9th. Barry, welcome to the program. Let's, uh, the key word here is Spider-Man. Tell me why.
12: So this is the uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15, so the first uh, appearance of, uh, of Spider-Man uh, in the comics. And uh, we've got a, a copy that's uh, got the highest grade ever assigned for that. And uh, the current bid now is at uh, $2.8 million.
3: So Amazing Fantasy, this is like the early 60s. And I think a lot of people just assume that Spider-Man came in uh, in his own deal. But uh, he kind of came in under the radar, didn't he?
12: Right, right. Uh, this was 1962, and back then it was actually more common that you'd get a tryout in some ongoing title before earning your own title, and that's what happened here. He was Amazing Fantasy, that's where he first came out. It was a, a, a big seller, and then uh, he was next seen in his own series, uh, Spider-Man Number
3: 1. And I think important to remember, too, that even then, back in 1962, this still was Stan Lee, wasn't it?
12: Absolutely, yeah. Stanley's story, uh, Steve, Steve Ditko art, and uh, yeah, maybe arguably the most famous uh, origin story in the history of comics.
3: When you think about uh, all the iterations of Spider-Man's w- w- we have had uh, through the years and the different ways people have interpreted him, what what do you think is the most pure thing about this issue?
12: Uh, you know, it's just the 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 his his nerdy, nebbishy quality when he started. I think that's what that's what really people people responded to uh, the most. Uh, you know, in later years, Peter Parker became more of a hipper, more good-looking guy. But uh, I think a lot of kids identified most uh, right at the start, where he was just a uh, uh, a bookish guy who got uh, who got picked on, but then secretly had these superpowers.
3: Now, how do you go about grading these things? Obviously any of us can walk up and see, oh, this one looks, you know, untattered and shiny and new, but it goes way beyond the eyeball test, right?
12: Yeah, yeah. There, there. There's a third-party uh, company called uh, called CGC that uh, assigned the grade. We didn't uh, grade it ourselves, uh, but just to, just to give you an idea, only four copies have made it to this higher grade, which is a 9.6 out of 10. And they've graded more than 3,000 uh, more than 3,000 copies. So it's not even a, a a rare comic, really, but it's just extremely rare in in this condition.
3: And Aunt May, Uncle Ben. Uh, you know, the uh, Bernard O'Brien. I mean, we're getting to the radioactive spider. It's all here, right?
12: Oh yeah, oh yeah, And I mean these things have been uh, you know reprinted uh, many many times over the years and and uh, but uh, you know they they're, they're just uh, they're just the the, the classics uh, the classics that never die, and uh, to me, it's kind of cool that you know most of the price records in the comics realm have been set by you know Batman and Superman because those comics are 20 plus years uh, years older. so uh, to me it's cool to see a 1960s comic uh, ascent to that level
3: yeah it's hard to believe that Spider-Man is older than I am, but I think about the fact that uh, you know, this was twelve cents at the time and um, is it the kind of thing where you know, because we hear when Star Trek was on the air, it got bad ratings, no one really cared and it was only a couple seasons. And then in reruns, that's where it got its love. Uh, was this a hit from the the word go or did people kind of go, eh he seems okay?
12: I think it's fair to say it was a hit, but it wasn't the number one from the start. You know, the Fantastic Four was Marvel's best-selling title for uh, for a couple years after that. Uh, but, you know, these days when we hear from collectors or, you know, lots of people, you know, sort of get out of comics, uh, lose interest, and then they want to get back in. And it seems like everyone who wants to get back in, they always say they want to start with Amazing Spider-Man
3: couple more questions here for Barry Sandoval of Heritage Auctions. Uh, you can uh, try to pick this up. Uh, where is it at right now, you said, the bidding?
12: Uh, we're up to $2.8 million, uh, and we still got uh, a couple days to go. Uh, the auction is uh, Thursday at uh, 11 Central, 12 Eastern. And, uh, yeah, anyone who wants to bid, ha.com is the website.
3: HA.com. So uh, when people, I always wonder this, especially with uh, football cards and things right now, and it's like, well, if I pay $2 million for this, uh, experts might say, well, we think this is going to appreciate and you'll be able to double your money in in five years. What are people people saying who know this type of thing and can sort of anticipate uh, appreciation of value?
12: well it's it's uh, it's always uh since nobody thought it would get to this level it's it's hard to say uh where 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 it would go from here uh you know just to give you an idea a, a low grade copy of this comic you know a, a good which is a two out of ten is sells for about twenty thousand dollars now, and I remember when the values in that grade reached two thousand not too many years ago. I thought, uh, I thought, boy, this is incredible that it's a 2,000, and then it was four, and then it was eight. So, uh, so yeah, there's different theories whether this is, is this uh, is this the peak or is it going to send further from here. But I think lots of people just figure, well, since since in that grade there are so few that even if it were to go down in lower grade, uh, you know, maybe a higher grade one is is, uh, is not going to be challenged so easily.
3: So is this something that you like wrap in cotton wool and put in a safety deposit box? How do you make sure that human hands like you could eat lunch and open this thing and ruin it? So how do you make sure you keep it pristine?
7: yeah well on
12: the on the high end ones that uh, that the grading service certifies it's uh, it's encapsulated in plastic, and the idea being the grade is valid uh, as long as that uh, that that seal is not broken broken open and uh, that's really appealing because uh, yeah in the old days uh, you know any comic collector will know what I mean in the old days you know you would basically never let anybody touch your your, your comics uh, but when they're, when they're encapsulated in plastic like that, you can have friends over who who uh, <laughs> Who comics are meaningless to, and they can still handle them and, and and check them out.
1: One
3: of the things and I grew up reading uh, comic books in the '70s when they were a quarter, and and I loved you know Sergeant Rock and Fighting Leathernecks. I liked a lot of the uh, the war ones, but the things that I always loved, and I know that they had it for Marvel and DC, was upper right. You would see something that looked like a postage stamp, and it said "Approved by the Comic Comics Code uh, Authority." And that was something that started in the 50s that they wanted to sort of uh, self-regulate things at the time. And I know this might not be your area of expertise, um, but is that something that, you know, when when, um, bidders and uh, collectors are looking for, they want to make sure that they got that stamp on it?
7: Well,
12: it's it's uh, really after after about the mid 50s, uh, pretty much every every comic published had that Comics Code stamp for a while, just with a few uh, with a few rare uh, rare exceptions. Um, but uh, if you, I'll tell you, in this same auction, we've got some of the uh, the horror comics that came out before the Comics Code went into effect, and so you know, I know a lot of people have never seen these you know covers with. Uh, you know, monsters getting their heads chopped off or, or what have you. But uh, if you like the bloody, gory uh, stuff, you can find uh, we've, we've got a lot of that, that kind of thing in this auction, too.
3: Amazing Fantasy number 15, uh, Spider-Man makes his debut. Next scene in Amazing Spider-Man number 1, and the rest is history. Was there any other cameo that uh, gave rise to such a hit? Did anybody else make a debut who would go on to such fame in this magazine?
12: Uh, well, uh, no. Amazing Fantasy was just uh, basically a, a horror uh, suspense type uh, type magazine that didn't even have a, a continuing characters. So, mm-hmm. uh, so no one through uh, one through four. T- or the earlier issues were actually called Amazing Adult Fantasy. But uh, no, the other issues are are, are not especially uh, especially collectible. It's uh, it's just the one.
3: What's the comic, you know, in baseball we like to think of the Honus Wagner card as sort of the Holy Grail. What, what's the comic book Holy Grail or, or one or two for you?
12: Well, Action Comics, number one, that's where you know, Superman made his debut. I think a lot of people know that cover image of, you know, Superman picking up the big green car and throwing it. That's, that's the number one in, 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 in pretty much everyone's book.
3: For you, though, what would be the one that you, is that the same thing for you personally?
12: Oh gosh! Uh, well, for me, uh, for for me personally, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually tough to beat uh, some of the '70s uh, issues of Amazing Spider-Man, like uh, the first uh, the first Punisher appearance that was in the '70s, kind of in the era you're talking about, or when uh, Wolverine first appeared in Incredible Hulk number one eighty one. That's more uh, that's more my era, personally.
3: Yeah, you think about Action Comics, that was nineteen thirty eight. I think I mean, it was before World War II, so I can totally understand that. All right. We've been uh, talking comic books with Barry Sandoval from Heritage Auctions. Go to ha. com, and uh, you want to have a punt, a flutter, go ahead and bid on that 9.6 graded uh, Spider-Man comic there. And um, uh, as I said, that was the thing that uh, started it all. And uh, from what we see, it would probably be a very, very good – uh, investment after this chunk of change you uh, fork out, Barry. Thanks for stopping by and talking a little comics with us. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, and um, we're going to use the rest of the show on comic books as well. Now, but action. You know what's funny? Action comics. That one with Superman. That cost ten cents. Thirty years later, comics were twelve cents. I like that appreciation. In Thirty years, it had gone up two cents. <laughs> All right. You never know what you're going to get on this show. Come on, back.
13: This is Karen Lyle of Sailsport Talk, and I'm sitting here with Chris Childers, and we are discussing the Seable Sailors program that is at Golden Gate Yacht Club. What exactly is this program?
14: Hey, Karen. The Siebel Sailors Program is an initiative by U.S. Sailing. We're hoping to remove barriers to the sport and and really barriers to continued participation. So U.S. Sailing saw a big uh, dramatic decline among middle school age kiddos who've maybe completed a summer camp but can't figure out how to continue to access the sport. So... The Siebel Sailors Program goes uh, specifically to our uh, sailing communities around the country and tries to figure out ways to remove those barriers by providing equipment, coaching and uh, consulting with each club to figure out ways to increase participation at their center, in their region, and around the country.
13: So what is the relationship between the Golden Gate Yacht Club and your program?
14: Golden Gate Yacht Club has a youth sailing foundation. They uh, applied to be a part of the first round of the Siebel Sailors program. So there was an application process in 2019 and uh, they got in. They are a supporting center. Um, Each region comes with several supporting centers and one primary center. So Golden Gate Yacht Club is one of two supporting centers uh, in the Bay Area, alongside Alameda Community Sailing Center and the Treasure Island Sailing Center.
13: So what is this experience like for these middle school students who come out to sail on one of these sailboats?
14: That is a great question because one of the things that really called me strongly to this program is what we do here in San Francisco in our unique location is very special to me. I wasn't ready to accept a cookie cutter program from U.S. Sailing, but what we're able to do is really organic to each individual center that we do. And of course at Golden Gate, we have uh, one of the best venues you could ask for we get our middle school kiddos uh, really pre-high school coming out to see if they want to continue sailing on a high school competitive sailing team to see if they might want to try out keelboats in that environment to see what it's like to learn other great life lessons that you get from sailing. What's their experience like day to day? We do sailing school just like other folk. We do it in a pretty cool place and on a fast, fun boat and really just focusing on helping kids have a great time, learning how to be good learners and and community members as they're doing it. You know, one of the big things is high school sailing in California is really competitive. One thing Golden Gate Yacht Club really wanted to do with its Seabull Sailors program is provide a feeder program to help out the greater high school sailing program in the Bay Area with more folks who've got a foundation of skills before they even get to high school. But we're really proud that we can get sailors on a fast, fun boat, learning the basics to give them a better shot at having success in high school sailing.
3: Welcome back to the program. Rick Tittle with you in downtown San Francisco, but around the world, syndicated radio and the American Forces Radio Network in 177 countries. It is Tuesday at, uh, it must be Belgium. It's Tuesday at 940. And that means we check in with Karen Lyle, who co-hosts this segment with me from salesportstalk.com. And we have a guest coming up, Jillian Humphreys, in just a second. But uh, Karen, you wanted to... Uh, Talk about uh, staying a little local this time, and I know you've gone punting down the Cam and the Thames and all over the world, but uh, right up here in the uh, Delta with your dad, huh?
13: Well, you know that's actually where I started boating when I was a kid because um, he has a—he's a power boater. Um, right now, he has a Cantius 50 a cruiser, Cantius 50, um, and he's the oldest member of the Delta Yacht Club, and so. Um, When I grew up, I was on a powerboat. I didn't get into sailing until about 2015. just fell in love with it. But we have a lot of conversations about power versus sailing.
3: Yes, and most people are trying to avoid the delta. You went towards it. Uh, Play on words. So talk about, real quick, uh, before we bring in our guests, the relationship with your dad and uh, how cool it is that still at at this age you you can go out with him. That's awesome.
13: Well, you know, he's a single hander, which means he basically he's a master at at, at the boat. He 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 when he came came into the dock and he kind of went around, you know, the other boats and brought his boat in just by himself, you know, with his little joystick on the on this you know huge um, this huge powerboat. All of the power boaters were lined up on the on the dock just to watch, and then they like applauded when he when he arrived. He's, he's over he's over 85 and. You know, still dancing and still, still, still boating. So it's a, it's a good thing. There were a lot of boats up there on the, on the water too, uh, this, this weekend. People out, you know, on their water skis, jet skis, power boats, just a lot. But we're talking to a sailor today.
3: Yes, and let's bring her in. As I mentioned, Jillian Humphreys, who is from said Delta, and she is also a writer. Uh, as well. Jillian, I love the fact that says you've been sailing since you were two weeks old. Were you on the uh, the boom that day?
15: Uh, no, actually, I was in the bilge. My mother <laughs> is not tall enough to turn sails and keep me in the bilge, so she had to have one foot in the bilge holding me in.
13: You know, Jillian, I think you said when I was talking, I was thinking it was two years old, but you said it was like two weeks old, so were you like in a baby carriage in, in the bilge? Is that what they, I mean, like the little little seats, or, or how did how did she do that? As my father likes to explain
15: to me, I was into the swaddle mode, as they call it now, wrapped up in a spinnaker, and they just stuffed me in the bilge, and my mother held her foot there so I wouldn't roll out, and I just slept like a little baby. <laughs> I didn't cry, apparently.
3: Now, you have been uh, teaching sailing for uh, a long time. You have taught people who have competed uh, in the Olympics. Uh, what are some of the first basic steps that uh, you need to learn fundamentally before you can move into the, the more advanced things?
15: The one thing that I stress in all of my sailing academics, whether it's kids or adults, is safety. Everybody thinks that the water is somewhere that where they can play, and safety is my number one when teaching because water is not forgiving even the delta i've known a few people that have lost their lives to the delta unfortunately tragically unexpectedly Uh, recently this summer i've lost two of my friends and it's because you don't know what's underneath the water if you can't see what's underneath it don't expect it to be friendly Um, safety is number one watch your surroundings power boaters jet steers Those guys don't always look out for sailors. At the same time, sailors don't always look out for fishermen, fishing lines, them in general, and jet skis. You don't know where they're going. So you as a sailor also have to keep eyes out of the boat. It's not just on the power boaters.
3: Well, just to follow up, when you say if you can't see what's underneath you, are you talking about running aground or hitting a log? What, What are we talking about here?
15: So sailors tend to... Um, especially the young ones, there is something called a capsized drill where they flip over the boat so they know what to do in case their boat flips, in case they come into an emergency where they hit a puff of wind and they're knocked over on these smaller boats that we teach them on. And most of the time they think it's okay just to jump into the water that they know that I don't need a life jacket, I can just jump in. Well, that's not always the case. You don't know if there's a log down there. You don't know if there's an undercurrent. You have to take all of that into consideration, especially not wearing a life jacket on a boat. It's one of the things I really stress is just personal flotation devices, no matter if you're a senior sailor or you're a kid. I grew up sailing, and my parents still to this day and I all wear life jackets when we go sailing because you don't know. The type of you know environment you don't know what the waters doing underneath on top is a completely different story
13: well, the delta is uh, really for those who are who are unfamiliar with that area it's um it's it's the Thule's, basically, and so there's just all these complex waterways um, around um, you know islands of um, made made of various things including silt and um and and to know your way around, even to read a chart, is a pretty complex thing there. Um, you're a member of the Stockton Sailing Club, and I, I've been up to the Stockton Sailing Club on more than one occasion. We've covered some things, the, 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 the Christmas um, lighting parade from that location. Um, tell us a little bit about the sailors and the sailing at Stockton Sailing Club, and I know they come down to the bay every once in a while. So
15: most of the sailors in the Stockton Sailing Club if they are the cruising type, they will sail down to the bay. Um, my family included; uh, they spend about a month down there, and they just harbor hop. They find different yacht clubs along the way. Richmond Yacht Club, Golden Gate is one of their favorites. Uh, South Beach, and they just get to know other sailors in the area, and they enjoy that. As far as the racing is concerned, we have one of the longest race running races, and that is from. Richmond Yacht Club to Stockton Sailing Club, and that's the Delta Ditch Run. Um, It's all downwind most years, Um, and it's a lot of fun in the sun, and one of my previous students did it with me a few years ago, and he liked to tell me it's the all-weather race because you start in foul weather gear freezing at 8 o'clock in the morning, and then you shed off layers as you come back down to the Delta where it's usually 100 degrees
3: couple more questions here for Jillian Humphries, Rick Tuttle, and Karen Lyle with you. Our SalesSportTalk.com segment here on Sports Byline. Um, I've always, uh, and I've been in the Delta before and up in the Sloughs, as we like to say. And, um, you know, Karen's right. With all the silting and you basically have the Sierra Nevada mud just coming right down through the, the Delta and right out the gate, that I noticed that there are a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bonehead people not obeying the laws, a lot of drunks out there. They seem to come down from, like, the American and Sacramento (laughs) rivers sometimes. And I always wondered about just how lawless it it is out there. It almost seems sometimes like the Wild West. So is that what you mean about remaining vigilant?
15: Yes. I mean, of course, you know, you always want to keep your eyes out of the boat. Um, I do power boat myself, so don't always just paint me as a sailor. Um, but yeah, vigilant. I mean, I'm always looking in the water for what we call deadheads, which are the logs that you were describing earlier. You just want to keep an eye out there. The wild, wild west. Yes, that's a great way to describe Fourth of July holiday, Labor Day holiday, Memorial Day weekend out there, because it's very lawless. Um, unfortunately, sheriffs can't be everywhere. And that's a big hazard in its own being that the sheriffs have to kind of control madness and they don't always have the resources to control that on those holiday weekends. Keeping an eye out for swimmers in the water. I know that wakeboarders, jet skiers, water skiers, you know, those guys, they are in the water and not all the time that can their boat get back to them or they can get back to the boat. Just be very diligent on looking out for people, for objects that could cause damage to your boat and eject people, all sorts of safety precautions, even if you hit, I call it a rogue wave, put a wave off of a power book that you don't expect can knock somebody out of your boat, it just might. So slow well, down. A, deadhead <laughs> is,
13: a deadhead is like a, 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 a log or a pier, you know, like a piece of a pier that is floating in the water where the head is just above. And I just actually reported one over by the, the Berkeley Reef um, when I was out sailing on Friday to the Coast Guard because uh, those can be quite dangerous, especially for windsurfers, you know, may not see something like that, and it would have, you know, an impact on them. Um, but, you know, when I, one thing I've been wondering, Jillian, about how it is for sailing in the area, because I have not taken my sailboat up to the, the Delta. I know that my dad when he's you know in his big powerboat with a lot of freeboard he has me out front and basically i point out fishermen and, and swimmers who are in the water and then he slows way down so there's no wake um, sailors can also make a wake um, how do you how how do you teach your your students um, and and also the other members of the Stockton Yacht Club to be considerate of of the fishermen who might be standing up in their boats just balanced and, and might be tossed by um, by a by a wake of of, of a boat. Uh,
15: thank you, here it's Stockton Sailing Club. Stockton Yacht Club's a little bit further down from us. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Did I say? Oh, oh <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. It's I know okay, the there, there tends to be a feud occasionally, just like power boaters versus sailors. Um, right, right. But, no, but, I know both of them. <laughs> but we do uh, mostly. I teach them if you are within 20 feet of the shore, of another boater, just tack away, which means move your boat, you know, through the eye of the wind and stay clear of them because you don't know if you're, I mean, especially the bigger sailboats that do put out the wakes, and depending on the wind of course, you want to make sure that you're giving them enough room to maneuver if they feel threatened, but also not maneuver into your way. So you want to stay clear and you know, like you said, vigilant of what's around you, rock, tree limbs, um, swimmers. You just want to keep a good 20 feet distance. And yes, that means tacking up this narrow channel as it is, but we also get cargo ships in all the time. And people know you stay away from those as well. You know, you give them their room. You give, it's just like if you're running into, um, Sorry. I'm no, crazy. you just call it
3: social distancing on the water. I get it. And we're out of time, but we've been speaking with <laughs> yeah. Jillian Humphreys, uh, also a writer for Dalton Bay Yachtsman magazine and someone who's been teaching sailing for decades. Jillian, thank you so much for your time and your insights. We appreciate it. You're
15: welcome.
13: Ms. Thank you for having
3: you. me. And, Karen, you ever run into one of them big old tankers going up to Stockton? Um, You
13: know... We we make a policy to uh, look on the Aes and see where the tankers are and plan ahead so that we're not we're not getting too close to them. I certainly have seen wind surfers who like to go close have have gotten caught and gone underneath. Uh, it's dangerous to be close to those ships. They can't maneuver out of your way, and so you want to you want to give them wide wide berth, as the saying goes.
3: Check out more at SailSportTalk.com. Karen Lyle, thanks for joining us yet again.
13: We'll talk to you next week.
3: Sounds good. I'm Rick Tuttle. We got open lines. We talked about college football, comic books, and sailing. You never know what you're going to get. Come on back.
1: 1759.
11: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
3: All right. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. Coast to coast and around the world on the American 4th of the world Network. Network. Uh, UEFA has lifted a travel ban. That's right. If we're going uh, fringe topics here. That means uh, before you couldn't go to any Champions League or uh, Europa matches or Europa Conference Leagues. Now the fans can go. So, as I said, we're in this weird scenario now where every day more and more people are getting vaccinated, which I believe is a good thing. You might believe it's a communist plot or whatever, or you're free to believe what you want. It's America, 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 America. Um, But more and more people are getting vaccinated. Uh, but we also have this Delta surge. So after, you know, 14 months of wearing masks, doing everything right, getting vaccinated. Remember in June, the governors of just about every state said, take off your mask. In fact, the CDC said, stop wearing masks. You're giving the wrong message. We're the ones you should listen to. We're like, cool. And then in July, they're like, wait a minute. Maybe here or there, you might want to wear a Mara mask. And then in August, it's like, oh, let's just put them back on again. But. I was at a stadium that had about, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people in it the other day. Most people not wearing masks. So I I don't know what to tell you. I don't work for WHO. I have some WHO albums. Um, No one knows what it's like to be the bad man. Anyway, we'll figure it out, I hope. And we have two more hours. Chris Zorich in the next hour as well. Come on back on Byline.
16: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
17: Mexican security and migration officials on Sunday morning blocked the passage of about 400 migrants heading to the United States, detaining several people days after it set off from southern Mexico for the United States. Mexican President Obrador said he wanted undocumented migrants to stay in southern Mexico. A high-level meeting between U.S. and Mexican officials will take place on Thursday. The United States Coast Guard announced Monday it's investigating almost 350 reports of oil spills in the Gulf of Mexico since Hurricane Ida. The Coast Guard has since established a pollution response team in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Category 4 storm made landfall on August 29th in a key oil industry staging area. Roughly 88% of offshore oil production in the region was closed, and over 100 platforms were still not being used on Monday due to the storm. Thanks for listening. It is well appreciated. We are USA Radio News.
11: Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBS-C, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part.
18: Linzess, or linacletide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six and
17: The Human Rights Campaign announced Monday night that Alfonso David was being replaced as president following an investigation into his work in helping former New York Governor Democrat Andrew Cuomo sexual assault allegations. The HRC is the largest LGBTQ advocacy group in the United States, and David was its first black American president. COVID-19 variants are fairly normal occurrences. As they pop up, some will fade away, others can become potential threats. Right now, there are about four variants of concern in the United States. That's according to the Cleveland Clinic. Dan Naraki from the Ohio USA Radio News Bureau reports about
19: one of them. The Mu variant of the coronavirus has been identified in nearly every U.S. state. The variant first identified in Columbia back in January has been seen in every state now except Nebraska, with the most cases in California, Hawaii, and Alaska. The World Health Organization named Mu a variant of interest last week, as early research seemed to show that it may be able to avoid protections provided by vaccines vaccines, and natural immunity. USA Radio News.
16: If you think vaccines alone will protect you from COVID-19, think again. More breakthrough cases of COVID variants show that vaccinated people are still vulnerable to the deadly disease. To be safe, monitor regularly for fever as it's the leading sign of COVID-19. Use Exergen, the only thermometer scientifically proven to detect fever. And beware of non-contact devices that miss five out of six fevers. Remember, vaccines are not enough. So protect yourself and your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Learn more at exergen.com.
17: The Supreme Court has ruled a Texas Heartbeat Law, which prohibits abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, can go forward as it is litigated. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton over the weekend on Newsmax says there is nothing in the Constitution that takes away the state's rights to regulate abortion, so states should be able to make their own rules and regulations on the procedure.
10: Well, look, in 1972, the left was able to just create a new constitutional right, supposedly. They were very bold in doing that. There was no precedent as you earlier said, and we've been in sort of chaos ever since. Before that, the states had the ability to regulate this. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives the federal government or the Supreme Court right now the ability to take that away from the states. And if Massachusetts wants to uh, allow abortions, they can do it. If Texas wants to ban abortions, they should be able to do it. That's where this should stay. And then then states can know with certainty how to regulate their own abortion.
17: The bungled Afghan withdrawal will have Secretary of State Anthony Blinken getting grilled. Dan Iraqi reports.
19: Secretary of State Antony Blinken will testify in front of Congress next week about the U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan. Blinken is set to appear before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on September 14th, the first of what is expected to be a number of administration officials to appear before Congress to answer questions about the withdrawal and evacuation of American citizens and Afghan allies from the country. Committee Chairman Senator Robert Menendez has said in a statement that there were policy, execution, and intelligence failures associated with the withdrawal and its aftermath.
17: I'm Lance Bryan, this is USA Radio News. I don't even recognize myself
11: anymore. I'm really worried about him. His addiction. I haven't seen him like this. Ever.
16: Hey look, I I never wanted to start using. I, I knew the drill, but I was out of options.
11: I just want to tell him it's not your fault. There are people out there who can help.
1: Call Quit Drugs 321 now at 800-338-6906, 800-338-6906, that's 800-338-6906, paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline.
4: Rick Tittle knows his sports. I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
3: Hey, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Rick Tittle with ya. Wanna uh, with uh, ya? Da, you staying for dinner? Here in uh, Minnesota, you betcha! All right, sorry. Uh, we have another two hours to go. Chris Zorich is coming up on the other side to talk a little college football. How about uh, that, Mike Mayock? The Raiders had a very interesting uh, Twitter yesterday. They wished Tanner Muse happy birthday, and then they cut him. The Raiders in 2020 had three first round, uh, th- sorry, three third round picks, and Mike Mayock, the GM, said that's like stealing one of them in camp he immediately traded that was Lynn Bowden Jr. to the Miami Dolphins. another guy Tanner Muse uh, Clemson is safety that they were going to turn into a linebacker and he's been cut. he never played one down for the Raiders so the three first round the three third round picks. Tanner Muse cut. Lynn Bowden traded, never played one snap. Brian Edwards is supposed to participate at wide receiver this year. We'll see. But you think about third-round picks. Brandon Parker stinks. He's a backup. Arden Key never lived up anything. He got cut. He's now with the Niners. They just have no idea what they're doing over there. Damon Arnett, who I poo-pooed and everybody like ranked on me on Twitter. Oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. Henry Ruggs, <laughs> twenty six catches. They have no idea what they're doing. Um, but uh, hey, if if you want to cut them, you cut them. I'm not saying you should keep them, but it's just hilarious the apologists that that people have. is just, and I was, you know, I saw Tyler Muse, uh, Tanner Muse at the time. I thought, oh, he looks like something. It, yeah, never played one snap. So that draft capital uh, ain't really working out. Like we thought it would. All right, 1-800-878-PLAY, TuneIn app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, they all work. American Forces Radio Network Worldwide. Also CRN Digital Plus 2, the cable radio network channel tune and your cable provider. We'll talk a little college football with Chris Zorich on the other side. Come on back.
20: This report brought to you by IBM. IBM is helping to enhance the U.S. Open viewing experience by using AI to keep fans more informed about players and matches. How? With real-time rankings and insights on the U.S. Open app and usopen.org. The new IBM Power Rankings with Watson and updated Match Insights with Watson run on IBM Cloud using AI and natural language processing to analyze data and offer key insights ahead of each of the tournament's singles matches. Noah Sykin, Vice President, IBM.
18: Since last year's Entirely Virtual Tournament, we've learned even more about what fans are looking for and how technology can help execute a tournament of this scale. We're excited to bring that insight into our continued partnership with the USDA and to help leverage our AI and cloud expertise to make the tournament more engaging for fans by digital platforms and new fan experiences.
20: The U.S. Open also launched the first ever U.S. Open fantasy tennis game with insights from IBM Watson. To see the technology in action, visit usopen.org.
16: If you think vaccines alone will protect you from COVID-19, think again. More breakthrough cases of COVID variants show that vaccinated people are still vulnerable to the deadly disease. To be safe, monitor regularly for fever as it's the leading sign of COVID-19. Use Exergen, the only thermometer scientifically proven to detect fever. And beware of non-contact devices that miss five out of six fevers. Remember, vaccines are not enough. So protect yourself and your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Learn more at
1: exergen.com. It's baseball season, and you're ready to go
21: all out. So you ordered the essentials to make game day a success. Like a jersey, a power recliner, and a bigger screen. And you used your Bank of America customized cash rewards credit card. Choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping. Rewards that you put toward an essential piece of the celebration. An air horn. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2021, Bank of America Corporation.
7: Hour 2 of Titillating Sports. You thought it couldn't get any better, but it's better. Rick Tittle is back. He's so great. I can't believe how awesome he is. More sports talk, yes. Couldn't get any better, but it's better. Rick Tittle is back. He's so great. I can't believe how awesome he is. More sports talk, yes. Hour 2 of Titillating Sports. Hey! Check out Channel 9. Check out Rick Tittle.
3: All right, check me out. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's great to welcome back to the show Chris Zorich. You know we like to check in with our Super 16 Voters. That is the collaboration between the Football Writers Association of America and the National Football Foundation, something that Chris Zorich is a part of as he is a college football Hall of Famer. Chris, welcome to the show. And, when I see you have your uh, Golden Domers uh, at 7, and yet I saw another one of your fellow pollsters have them at 11, does that fill you full of rage as a f- former Notre Dame player, or do you kind of think, ah, it's early, it's their opinion, who cares?
22: <laughs> no, not all. First, Rick, thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. And I am honored to be part of this this year's selection of the super 16. This is really cool. And this, this is my first year doing it. And it's funny cause I kind of pride myself as kind of like an everyman, uh, being a huge college football fan. Um, I was very honored that I had a chance to participate this year. That being said, um, you know, after watching Notre Dame play Sunday, it was tough cause our, our preseason poll, I had them at, at five actually. Mm-hmm. And, even though they won the game, you know, you're talking about overtime and a field goal, I'm not too happy so I try dropping down to seven, but I'm kind of interested because other folks have, have them at nine or under, so I, I would love to kind of see their rationale.
3: Yeah, no, I hear you, and just one more thing about Notre Dame, I used to do shows with um, Bill Romanowski, and he talked about his recruiting trip to Notre Dame, and they showed this Four horseman video, and he wanted to run through a brick wall, and play for Notre Dame and of course he ended up going to BC so his parents could watch him play but but for you being a Chicago guy and were, were you Notre Dame or bust or was there another school you were thinking about
22: Um you know interestingly enough when I was a young kid I, I knew nothing about Notre Dame and and when one of the assistant coaches came to my school and asked if I'd like to attend now understand that Chicago is 90 miles from <laughs> southern Indiana where, where Notre Dame is okay mm. So I responded to him by saying, you know, I would love to go to your school, Notre Dame, but my mom doesn't like to fly. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me kind of strange. So what do you mean your mom doesn't like to fly? And I said, well, there's no way my mom will fly to, fly to France to see me play. <laughs> and so he looked at me like, what the hell? And I'm sure he looked back at my SAT screen and was like, "What? what, what is this kid? Are, are you sure we're supposed to recruit this kid? So, I mean, I, I say that to say that obviously Notre Dame was obviously not on my radar, uh-huh. um, for me going to a, a college to play football wasn't even a, a opportunity. And I only started playing uh, football when my sophomore year in high school, so this was all new to me.
23: Mm.
22: But well, I was fortunate enough because um, I had good grades, and when my mom and I talked, it was really about getting an education. And so if for some reason... Notre Dame was going to renege on the scholarship, which they didn't. I was probably going to go to Northwest.
3: Got you. Um, you know, I was at the uh Cal Nevada game on Saturday night of Okay. And uh, you know, saw the kid Carson Strong. But you know, Cal had a fourteen nothing lead and lost. I look at Stanford, what happened with them, I look at Washington, and as a and I'm a little bit older than you, and as a Bay Area guy, I grew up, you know, with UCLA and USC sort of ruling the roost. And I look through the 16, and I see, you know, Oregon and USC in there. But I, in my life, the Pac-12, formerly Pac-10, has never been weaker. Now, that doesn't mean they're bereft of talent. Probably the best defender in the country is at Oregon, as sure. we know. Yep. But but still, yep. what is going on with my Pac-12, Chris?
22: You know, it, it's really interesting because when, when you look at it over the years, you know, it's something that – Being a Notre Dame person, you know, we always thought that was one of our big rivalries. It was one of our big games. And oftentimes, USC was one of the champions in the Pac-10, obviously Pac-12 now. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those situations where we always thought those were strong teams. And so in the last maybe 15, 20 years, I'm not sure what happened. Um, As you mentioned, there are uh, at least Oregon and USC are in there. But it's really interesting because when you look at the rest, it's it's really challenging.
3: A couple more questions here for Chris Zorich, Super 16 pollster. Uh, you have Alabama number one. Most uh, of your pollsters do. There is a Georgia vote in there. But uh, after watching uh, their QB over the weekend, everyone's changed their mind. Now it's no longer Spencer Rattler, you know. <laughs> it just seems like it's going to change week to week who's going to win the Heisman, huh?
22: You know, it, it's so interesting, and it's really it's, – I mean, being a former player – It's so unfair to these young kids because, first of all, they just want to go out and compete. Now, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. You know that they also have to wash their laundry. I mean, you know, they got mom and dad coming up for a game every now and then. You got friends back home, got a girlfriend, whatever it is. They have lives, too. And so putting this pressure on them to say, hey, you're going to win the Heisman. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. I mean, think about the type of pressure that these kids will be under. And then nine times out of 10, the person that they say who's going to win it in the beginning of the season doesn't win it anyway.
3: No doubt about it. And uh, what do you think about NIL? Because you have a chance now to make hundreds of thousands of dollars before you even see the pros. Are you think that's about time that these kids have their name, image, and likeness, or do you think maybe it's getting a little too crazy?
22: Well, it, it's very really interesting that you mention that because I was fortunate enough to write an op-ed and they published it in the Chicago sun times talking about the NIL issue. And my issue is that I think athletes need to be compensated. However, not the way that the NCAA tried to do it or the schools are trying to do it because there's no mandated rule. So it's literally like the wild, wild west, right? We see guys doing appearances for a couple hundred bucks but then you also see people signing opportunities worth millions and millions of dollars. And so there, there has to be some type of control to assist the student-athlete in order to, to take advantage of these opportunities. I was fortunate enough. I was drafted by the Chicago Bears. I played the NFL for seven years. I had a marketing team. I, I went out and hired marketing folks to, to handle that part so I can concentrate on playing. You can't ask an 18-, 21-year-old kid to handle, quote, end of quote, his marketing and opportunity and, and off the field opportunities. Go to school and also play football. It's just unfair.
3: Did you ever look at the you know in the bookstore at South Bend and see people buying number fifty jerseys and think, <laughs> damn, I should get a I should get a little part of that?
22: Oh, well, first of all, I, I wasn't that big, so they didn't have number they didn't have fifty, but they 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 did have number nine, which was Tony Rice, <laughs> who. Who was our quarterback right. when we won the national championship? And I guarantee you, he he definitely felt that he was like, wow, you know, how is it? All these people are wearing my number, but I, I don't have the opportunity. And here's a young man who grew up by his, with, with his grandmother who could have benefited from having this opportunity. And like I said, I think it's great. The, the unfortunate thing, and this is what what folks aren't thinking about, is that the colleges have gotten off scot free because they don't have to give up any of their revenue. So this is really interesting because the the, the university cannot pay the student athlete; It's just these outside entities. And so I'm sure a lot of these big programs, uh, the athletic directors are kind of wiping their brow, saying, wow, we avoided that one because we don't have to share our revenue.
3: Last question for you, Chris. And we know what the Big 12 down to eight teams, it looks like once Oklahoma <laughs> – and Texas leave. We know the contract says 2025. We know they're already looking at four other teams. Maybe they can add from outside conferences. Do you see any way that Texas and Oklahoma just stay lame duck schools for the next four years?
22: You know, it's really hard because yeah, you know, I mean, to think about recruiting um, when when I was the athletic director of Chicago State, we we had a couple of uh, teams move into a WAC, our, our conference, and. They had to, to, to sit out uh, some, some championship games. However, they were able to compete throughout the year. So maybe something like that, I, I think a mixture, because you have to think about these young kids who are currently at these schools who are saying, you know, hey, I, was, I came here to be part of the Big 12, and now they're going to make this, this transition. Is it fair for me? Or you have the kids going, hey, there's a great opportunity for, for me to go to the, to the ACC.
3: Great stuff from Chris Zorich, one of the voters in the Super 16 poll, which we check in with each and every week here throughout the year, a collaboration of the Football Writers Association of America and the National Football Foundation. Chris, great talking ball with you, man. Let's do it again soon.
22: Absolutely, sounds good. I do want to mention that I'm I'm actually putting together my my own little live show talking about all my picks. If folks want to tune in, they can go to my YouTube page at youtube.com slash Chris Resorts 50, and find out all the details.
3: There it is. Sounds good, Chris. We'll talk next time, man.
22: You got it. Thanks, Rick.
3: All right. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back. Open lines on Sports biling.
1: That's 800-760-1845. Come on,
8: you watch the news, be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. (laughs) Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them $5,000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer first. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them.
1: Do you think?
17: Why would
24: she have you meet her in a bar at 10 in the morning? (laughs) I just figured she was a raging
10: alcoholic.
11: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
3: He would clown you. Girl! 1-800-878-PLAY. So it's the, uh, it was the international break this weekend uh, in soccer. And so, uh, you know, normally these are World Cup qualifiers. By the way, the USA has played two games. Uh, as we were talking about last week, they went down to San Salvador. They had a nil-nil draw, which I was okay with. Uh, Win at home, tie on the road. But then they contrived to tie Canada and Nashville. Once again, Canada. And so they have another game coming up, and it's going to be a little bit of carnage. Because, well, we'll get to that in a second, but let's go to the phone lines and we have my man, Charlie, in Manhattan. How you doing, Charlie?
2: Doing good, Rick. I mean, uh, considering we had uh, flooding and, all the, and some of the natural disasters that I guess your state sometimes experiences, um, you know, we're cleaning up and all that and getting, getting through it. The uh, uh, president is uh, visiting the city today. He's in Queens at the moment, I think, or in Jersey. I don't know. He's somewhere around here. Anyway, uh, I wanted to vent about our beloved Oakland A's, if you have a yeah, no. Well, I, 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 I remember calling you last week, and I said, well, you know, they stabilized, I thought, after they split the Yankee series, and that they really needed to take off from there. Well, anything but that happened. Uh, they they blew a three-run lead to Detroit in one of the three games uh the other game they blew uh i think they were up 8 to 2 or eight, 8 1 and they gave up six runs and 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 turned it into a you know a tight game and then and then and then at that point i thought well they they, they took two out of three but some, I, I'm a believer that there are good wins and bad wins. And, and, and uh, that, that was a bad win against Detroit. I know they took two of the three, but the, the one game where their bullpen just imploded yet again, um, I thought that was a bad win. And I said, well, we're now experiencing the, uh, the what is it called, the death rattle. And, uh, and then our, our favorite uh, uh, player, Simeon, delivered the death blow. In uh, a game where there's two, that I have a question. He took out he took out Manaya after 85 pitches. Right, they're up eight to two, or eight nothing, eight to two. I forget. Whatever. They're up eight to two, and his argument was, well, he wanted to try to uh, get uh, Trevino get reestablish him, get him some work. Blah blah blah. I I can understand that in theory, if the game was in June. Mm-hmm. But you're your your thirty game now it's twenty five I don't know, twenty-five games left. So it's about thirty games left or you know, whatever it was. You need wins. You're not you you've completely collapsed in the last twenty one. I think there's seven and fourteen. Uh, at that point there were four games up in the wild card. You you need to secure wins. Your starting pitcher is shutting them down. He's at eighty five pitches. Why are you uh, tinkering around with this and just get the win, and then, you know, to, to, to make matters worse, they tie the game up, they take the lead, and then, and then, the only thing I could say was I'm I'm glad I'm 53 and not 23 because I would have thrown my TV out the window if I had seen that walk off win. Um, and then the following day, they they had a they they were down. Uh, they brought in Trevino. gave up another three runs, and then the A's cut it. <laughs> anyway, to make, so uh, the question is, or not uh, question, do you think what Goldmel did by taking Mania out was a bad managerial move, considering what was at stake and everything else?
3: Yes. And I, well, the thing is- there's two ways of looking at it. Obviously, as fans, we would say, "Why would you take the guy out?" You know, he's going to be resting for four more days. He's only at 85 pitches. But in Bowmel's mind, the game's over. We won, which is a dumb way to think. But yes. in his mind, he's like, "Look, we won. Look, our I I remember when uh, I think Vince called me two weeks ago, and I said I didn't think the A's were going to the playoffs, and he disagreed with me. But the season officially ended in Toronto. I really believe that. Yes. And now, oh yeah. And Absolutely. it's a shame the American League's so strong. Right now, we would be the second wild card behind the Dodgers if we were in the National League. But but now Seattle's yeah. ahead of us, Toronto's ahead of us, of yeah. course Boston and yeah. New York are ahead of us. So there's still a chance. But when you got like people like Chad Pinner running into the wall in right field, that that's not a playoff team right there. <laughs> no,
2: no. But I, and, and listen, I know he has to say the right thing, and I, I what 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 what, what ups, I don't know why it upset me, but it did. He, he, you know, I some I don't not all the time, but sometimes I'll listen to the post game online, or I'll watch it. And he, and so I forget what the question was, but he says this: the best is yet to come from this team. Ugh. There's 25 games left. What best? What? What? what why? Admit, why? I, I don't.
24: He.
2: I know he can't come out and say we stink. We're not going to make the playoffs. I don't know what we're going to do. But don't say the best is yet to come. I mean, what, are you kidding me? That, that that upset me more than him taking my eye out. That's just like, you don't throw your, I understand you don't want to throw your team under the bus, but why don't say that? That's, that's what best. What best is yet to come?
7: Yeah. I mean, and this, this
3: whole team, this closer by committee um, you never know, works. It never I, works, and and of the three, I would take Chafin. Uh, over Trevino and Romo. I have no, I probably have the, and the thing is, you'll look at their ERAs and say, oh, they're not that bad. They don't have the closer mentality. They don't have the closer stuff. And no. we knew Rosenthal was out for the season before the trade deadline, and they didn't do anything. They just thought, they looked at the ERAs and they thought, oh, we'll be able to, you know, whoever's hot that day, depending on matchups, we'll be able to get through this, and they can't.
2: I, I never liked, uh, bullpen by committee. I take Billy Koch now over
3: any. of these <laughs> I take Billy Taylor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Billy Taylor. But Bo- I, I, I don't know how much time left. But what, what, what happened with Trevino? Is it all psychological? Is it all mental with him? Did he just like lose it like that?
3: To me, like- Trevino is Ryan Dahl. He came on gangbusters, and then people figured him out. That's what I think it is.
2: Okay. Well, uh, the only positive note, and, and I and I mean it's Chris Davis coming back and getting some hits. I, I'm I'm happy for him. I hope he can resurrect his career with the A's. I don't know where you know where it's going down, but other than that, yeah, the uh, the, the season officially ended with Simeon <laughs> of all players. Uh, hit the yeah, season. and I'll, I'll
3: admit I was wrong about him. Um, yeah, I was the guy was saying too. that Elvis is basically the same thing. I'm completely wrong.
2: No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, uh, he would have looked good in an A's uniform right yeah. now. Yeah. If he could come out of the bullpen, even better. All right. That's all I got, Rick. All
3: right. Thanks start for the, the, the call. Line. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you can say when Chris Bassett got hit in the eye that basically ended the season. Uh, I didn't think so. The A's all year have had, except for the very start of the season, what well, they start off 0-6, They um, have had uh, some pretty good mojo. And as as I was just mentioning to Charlie, there are 11 games over 500. If you say, you know, you're in the first week of September, would you take 11 games over 500? And I would say yes. It's just the the standings don't, uh, they don't offer up much in help. Obviously Houston was going to win that division the whole year. Anyone who picked any other team that Houston, I don't think, was paying attention. Um, I picked the Angels. Uh, I picked it to go Houston, Oakland, Seattle, Angels, Texas. I almost have that exact. I'm off by a half game because Seattle is now a half game better than the A's. Yeah, the Mariners are right now. Uh, The Angels, I looked at them, didn't think they had the pitching. I mean, they're a sub-500 team. That's just ridiculous. And, of course, Texas is just going through the motions uh, right now. But that wild card, that's the thing that will get you. So uh, Toronto and Seattle are only a half game better than the A's, but that's still three behind Boston. So the, the A's will have to get, and there's still time. Bob Melvin, best is yet to come. They're going to have to get incandescent, and you're going to need Boston to get a little bit wobbly. And you have to get past Seattle and Toronto, which is doable. But uh, you better stop screwing around. Open lines on the other side. Come on back. 1-800-878-PLAY.
4: List is now Angie. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or you're planning your dream renovation, Angie connects you with top local pros who can get the job done right. See reviews, compare quotes, and book hundreds of projects. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, we'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with our happiness guarantee. Check out Angie.com and for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen Oh,
17: oh, oh, O'Reilly. When you need auto parts, OReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit OReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
1: Auto Parts. three that's 754 Uh, I joined the
24: army because my father and my brother were in the army I thought I'd better join before I
1: got drafted son uh, there ain't no draft no more
24: there was one
11: Tittle always goes commando. Hey,
3: welcome back to the show. Open lines. Come on in. 1-800-878-PLAY. As I was mentioning, the United States men's national team will be taking on Honduras tomorrow night. And that's never an easy thing to do. And right now, the USA is still in control of their own destiny. They haven't lost a game. But they need to pick it up. And one of their better young players is a guy named Weston McKinney who plays for Juventus. And Weston McKinney has been suspended and sent back to Italy because he violated the team's COVID-19 protocols. We don't know exactly what happened. But Weston McKinney in April was suspended by Andrea Pirlo, Who was then running Juventus because he hosted a party that Paulo Dybala, the Argentine, Arthur, some other teammates, that he violated the team's COVID nineteen protocols, and in fact he was fined by the Italian police. The Carabini, yeah. So that's stupid. I mean, look, the first time he does it, you can say, "Well, that's dumb." I mean, he is a grown man. He's young. He'll learn from his mistakes. No, he didn't. And we don't know what he did. We don't know if he made it rain in a strip club or he walked across the street to get takeout food. Remember, that's what happened in the Orlando bubble with an NBA player last year. He walked across the street and got some food, but he left the bubble. That is an honest mistake, but it's still a mistake. When you're just plain stupid, You do it twice, that ain't good. Now, Zach Steffen, our top goalie, I say ours as an American, he has COVID-19. Giovanni Reyna, who plays for Borussia Dortmund, he did his hamstring against El Salvador. So they've called up New York City FC goalkeeper Sean Johnson. To me, that's a gymnast. Uh, I don't know him. Uh, but uh, also um, a member of the, uh, I always want to say Clash, Jackson Ewell will be coming up from the, uh, the Earthquakes, who's a nice player, but representing the United States, I don't know about that. But Greg Burhalter, the head coach, said, quote, Weston will return to Italy and will be unavailable for the match against Honduras due to a violation of team policy. There are high expectations for those who are part of the U.S. men's national team. And in order to be successful, it's important that everyone in the group is accountable. Uh, by the way, Sergio Dest, uh, who plays for Barca, he also did his ankle against Canada, so he's out as well. So after waiting five years to get back here and having this feel-good summer with beating Mexico twice, you would think... <laughs> now, that they wouldn't screw it up yet again. But we'll see about that. Let's go to the phone lines, and we have our man Vince in Lafayette. How you doing, Vince?
24: Uh, all right. Uh, a couple things. I don't want to talk about the obvious because I feel like I'm on the Titanic. I'm the Engineer. Are you sure those numbers are right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I think about the A's. I'm, I'm hoping you're wrong about the movie. I'd rather be wrong about the A's you know screw up the season and, and still stay that's uh i'll settle for that but yeah. i don't even know if i'm getting more, more worried about that too right uh you know but uh i was gonna talk your, your show is so diverse and so good it's incredible that you're talking about the sale and you had those guys in there you don't know how, how correct those guys were about that I, I was actually this is when i was like in my early 20s i was actually thinking about going to the sheriff's department i wanted to work on the um the boats, you know, the uh, you know, work on Discovery Bay and, and and uh be one of those. They only had like two or three of those guys, but they have openings there all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been fun. But you'd be surprised how many people drink on the Delta, how many people don't wear the life preservers, and they speed when it says five miles and you're not supposed to do that. And then they hit these bumps, which you don't know because there's when you're in the five mile zone, there's it's not deep all the time, and you might hit a bump and, and you could. Easily flip off the boat when you hit those bumps because you know it stops all of a sudden and people disappear when they hit the water. You can't find them right away and unfortunately they drown. But that happens a lot. I mean, people break those rules all the time, all the time. I mean, I learned about boating when I was young about how serious um, you got to take those rules. But most people don't. I-, I could tell you that right now. You just go on a delta. You just look from boat to boat and you see a lot of people out there. Life preservers are not on. But, you know, they just feel cocky. The second thing I was going to ask you, uh, I've mean, again, listening to your show, when a movie comes out, I love listening to your actors and the actresses Thank that you have on. Uh, and they say they're on. Uh, it's coming out like on Apple TV or something like that.
23: Mm-hmm.
24: Um, a movie comes out. I, I, I'm speaking as like I don't, I, I'm new to this. When it comes out as an Apple movie, does that also come out in the movie theaters or is it in, in other areas, too, like uh, – um, uh, Netflix or other uh, places you could watch the movie, or is it just going to be Apple?
3: Well, it's an interesting question, because we are in uncharted waters. There are movies that are both online and in the theaters. We saw that with The Irishman and Netflix. Uh, We saw that with uh, HBO Max. In fact, just last night, I tried to watch a movie called Reminiscence with Hugh Jackman, and halfway through, I gave up. It was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. But we are in new territory where they tr- they're trying to get these streaming services up and no matter th- i i watched one i don't know if it was on paramount plus or i think oh it was peacock it was a brand new movie they wanted to put it on there and the theaters as well because they're trying so hard to get these streaming services up so a lot of times it is simultaneously and sometimes it is an exclusive
24: okay and if it's simultaneously again i i haven't been in a theater since covid I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually about trying. I keep looking. I haven't seen anything that caught my eye yet. Are the theaters getting people out there? Have you been in a the theater since? Or I I, I
3: have been once, yes. And there I, there was maybe three people in the entire multiplex.
24: They're <laughs> getting cream. I heard theaters were trying this out. I read this in the Wall Street Journal. I Again, I haven't been to a theater, so I don't know how true this is. They're starting to sell monthly passes,
23: mm-hmm.
24: you know, for not a lot of money to try to get people back in the theaters. Yeah. I, 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 that sounds like a good idea. That I saw that. Like yeah. It was part. like
3: $10 a month. You get one movie and then you get like 50% off everything. And I'm thinking $10 is less than the price of a ticket. Like they must, this is like the A's with the treehouse.
24: Yeah. They're trying to get people back because I've, this is what I've heard. I, I, knew this director got back in my 20s. Um, not a famous director, but it did a few movies. The only, probably famous person or so semi-famous person. I can't remember his name right now. But uh, he was telling me that when the, um, movies come out in the theaters, they get virtually oh, – this is the olden days, too. This is like 40 years ago. They The, th- uh, the theaters would get uh, 0% of the money they collect for the ticket, but they get 100% of the money they get for the, uh, the stuff like the popcorn, Cokes, and stuff like that. And that's where they made their money. So it's like uh, – so the movie – Uh, guys make all the money for the sales of the tickets but the 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 theaters make everything like Mm -hmm. popcorn that's why they charge so much for popcorn Mm -hmm. and coke that's how they make the revenue and when they're empty they (laughs) i don't know how they're going to stay in business i I really think the theaters remind me of the blockbusters now that you know five years from now we'll be looking for the last theater standing
23: Mm -hmm. you know I, i
24: hope that's not true but again your show is really cool i really really like that, that's what makes you so unique. I mean, you have all these different uh, angles besides sports. That is really cool, and I love listening to those directors and actors and actresses. Just their life stories. You had that one girl. I think she was thirty nine. She liked the older guys, like Keaton and stuff like that. You were laughing. You like the older guys. Well, I'm thirty nine. Well, I guess that makes sense. She doesn't. She's not going to go out to twenty year old. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just funny. Just listening to them, they just seem so bubbly. And so, have you seen these people in person, or do they come to your studio? Or is it always online?
3: It's almost always over the phone, but I have had some actors and actresses in studio before, um, which is – it's always fun. It's always a little more of a uh, a better show when we can get them in person, yeah. But after COVID, it's been a little bit – I've had three comedians come in studio, but uh, that's about it so far.
24: Yeah, I could tell you, I was in New York with my son trying to get into Columbia. We'll know soon, but um, they're not kidding. The um, the, uh, the cheapest way to travel is cab over uh, – Not I mean, subway is the cheapest – but cab is much cheaper than, uh, uh, what do they call that? when you, um, not, Uber? You know, Uber, yeah, much cheaper than yeah. Uber. Uber has really gotten expensive. Right. And it used to always be the other way around. I was stunned. I mean, they literally almost charged double the price Uber over taxi in yeah. New York. Now, now I, everybody's saying
3: that I, Uber I, came in, killed all the cabs. These guys paid like whatever, you know, 50 grand for their badge. They killed the cabs, and then they had a monopoly, and so now cabs are making a comeback.
24: Yeah, they're making a major comeback. That, that was uh, that was a comedian that she was telling about that. Um, so, again, I love your show. Uh, the question about the football, I did see that. You see, I know you were dragging on the Pac-10 mm. a little while ago. UCLA did beat LSU. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? I watched that game.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I was trying to make a point. But, yes, that one, uh, I'm not a UCLA fan. But uh, if you're into the conference, definitely that was a good sign. But, uh, you know, Stanford, what, they lose to Montana. Or Washington lost to Montana. And Stanford lost to (laughs) K-State. And then, you know, no offense to Nevada, but in Berkeley, you got to beat a Mountain West team at your home stadium if you're in the pac 12
24: I mean, I think, but the problem is, and again, this is—I I see my son getting ready for college. Pack um, the Pac-12, I guess you want to call it. They're all education. They don't care about football players anymore. I mean, they just don't care. I mean, well, USC, like
3: if, USC still uh, has people take tests for them. I kid. Yeah, but, yeah,
24: <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm serious. They—they they don't have. the – I mean, but it, most of the teams. I mean, like you go to Cal, you don't make it. Like. I mean, Columbia like that, of course. They have a very high standard to get in. They have a 3.75 is bare minimum for sports. I mean, and that's – so a lot of these schools aren't competing. Like, you know, like you go to Alabama, you probably get in a 2-0. You know, there's a totally different um,
23: mm. perspective.
24: So, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not torn by it. I mean, I'm just sitting there going, I kind of like what basketball's doing, that you could go into that, um, what do you call it, development league yeah. and go pro. I think that's better than going to college because I, I rather wish – the college would not be as good if that's what we turn into, but have kids that really care about getting their education, then having all these kids going in and just don't even show up to class. I just think it's a waste of spot, you know, for these schools. And I'm starting to feel more and more like that. I wish that the, the, um, the football would do that too, that, you know, and I know Alabama can't do it because that's what they, nobody would even hear about Alabama if they weren't good at football. I mean, I mean how do you feel about that? Do you think that um, the, the colleges should concentrate on education or concentrate on sports.
3: I think I think baseball has the best rule. You can go in in uh, through high school. Otherwise, if you go to college, you got to wait till your junior year. There's no waffling. You know, there's no leaving early. You either stay three years or you go out of high school. I I like the way baseball doesn't.
2: And and
24: they should be, well because if you look at baseball and, and every player will tell you this, you should actually get your four years and get out of there because. A lot of players, it's really hard to make it. I mean, let's say you get drafted and you go into single A ball, the odds of you making it to double A are really small. They are, but and I mean, you
3: can, you're only, what are you, 15, you should be about 15 to 30 units away from your degree. And uh, I don't know, it's an interesting discussion. I got to run to a break, Vince, but thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. it,
24: it and, and thanks go for
3: the compliments, away. too. That, that's very nice of you. Uh, I'm glad somebody likes it. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Violin.
21: Don't wait another minute to see if you may qualify for your Social Security disability benefits. Call Pinnacle Disability Group at 800-593-7491 for your free case evaluation. That's 800-593-7491. 800-593-7491. Call now.
1: Uh, what kind of music do you usually have here?
11: Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. (laughs) Tittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now back to Fat Boy.
3: Thank you for that. Uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. 1-800-878-PLAY. <clears throat> uh, Cliff Branch and Dick Vermeil are the first two finalists named for the next Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Uh, Branch has been chosen as a senior finalist. Uh, Vermeil has been uh, chosen as the coach. Finalists and their candidacies will be voted on the day before the Super Bowl, along with the contributor finalist who will be named with the 15 player finalists. And this will happen in uh, January. But Cliff Branch, uh, can you think of any other Raider that won all three of those Super Bowl rings? First team, all pro, three times, led the league in. Receiving, led the re- league in uh, catches and touchdowns. And, of course, Mehl was the Eagles head coach in the Bicentennial. I saw him lose to Branches Raiders there in uh, 81, January 25th. Retired, got burned out, came back with the Rams and led them to the Super Bowl. And um, I really, really hope Cliff Branch gets in. Of course, it'll be posthumous. He died two years ago. Uh, it sucks like uh, Ken Stabler. But uh, both those gentlemen I deserve, I think, deserve to be in. We'll take a quick break, news break, come back with another hour of Sports violence.
16: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
17: Mexican security and migration officials on Sunday morning blocked the passage of about 400 migrants heading to the United States, detaining several people days after it set off from southern Mexico for the United States. Mexican President Obrador said he wanted undocumented migrants to stay in southern Mexico. A high-level meeting between U.S. and Mexican officials will take place on Thursday. The United States Coast Guard announced Monday it's investigating almost 350 reports of oil spills in the Gulf of Mexico since Hurricane Ida. The Coast Guard has since established a pollution response team in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Category 4 storm made landfall on August 29th in a key oil industry staging area. Roughly 88% of offshore oil production in the region was closed, and over 100 platforms were still not being used on Monday due to the storm. Thanks for listening. It is well appreciated. We are USA Radio News.
11: Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBS-C, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part.
18: Linzess, or linacletide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six and
17: The Human Rights Campaign announced Monday night that Alfonso David was being replaced as president following an investigation into his work in helping former New York Governor Democrat Andrew Cuomo sexual assault allegations. The HRC is the largest LGBTQ advocacy group in the United States, and David was its first black American president. COVID-19 variants are fairly normal occurrences. As they pop up, some will fade away, others can become potential threats. Right now, there are about four variants of concern in the United States. That's according to the Cleveland Clinic. Dan Naraki from the Ohio USA Radio News Bureau reports about
19: one of them. The Mu variant of the coronavirus has been identified in nearly every U.S. state. The variant first identified in Columbia back in January has been seen in every state now except Nebraska, with the most cases in California, Hawaii, and Alaska. The World Health Organization named Mu a variant of interest last week, as early research seemed to show that it may be able to avoid protections provided by vaccines, and natural immunity. USA Radio News.
16: If you think vaccines alone will protect you from COVID-19, think again. More breakthrough cases of COVID variants show that vaccinated people are still vulnerable to the deadly disease. To be safe, monitor regularly for fever as it's the leading sign of COVID-19. Use Exergen, the only thermometer scientifically proven to detect fever. And beware of non-contact devices that miss five out of six fevers. Remember, vaccines are not enough. So protect yourself and your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner. Learn more at exergen.com.
17: The Supreme Court has ruled a Texas Heartbeat Law, which prohibits abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, can go forward as it is litigated. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton over the weekend on Newsmax says there is nothing in the Constitution that takes away the state's rights to regulate abortion, so states should be able to make their own rules and regulations on the procedure.
10: Well, look, in 1972, the left was able to just create a new constitutional right, supposedly. They were very bold in doing that. There was no precedent as you earlier said, and we've been in sort of chaos ever since. Before that, the states had the ability to regulate this. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives the federal government or the Supreme Court right now the ability to take that away from the states. And if Massachusetts wants to uh, allow abortions, they can do it. If Texas wants to ban abortions, they should be able to do it. That's where this should stay. And then then states can know with certainty how to regulate their own abortion.
17: The bungled Afghan withdrawal will have Secretary of State Anthony Blinken getting grilled. Dan Iraqi reports,
19: Secretary of State Antony Blinken will testify in front of Congress next week about the U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan. Blinken is set to appear before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on September 14th, the first of what is expected to be a number of administration officials to appear before Congress to answer questions about the withdrawal and evacuation of American citizens and Afghan allies from the country. Committee Chairman Senator Robert Menendez has said in a statement that there were policy, execution, and intelligence failures associated with the withdrawal and its aftermath.
17: I'm Lance Bryan. This is USA Radio News.
19: Hey, travelers, do you
17: want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right. Call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them Also, save up to 50% off business and
1: first-class tickets. 855-325-1780. 855-325-1780. That's 855-325-1780. Rick Tittle knows his sports.
4: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
3: Thank you so much for tuning in to sportsbyline.com and Sports Byline, syndicated radio, wherever you are around the world, American Forces Radio Network, all that great stuff. Come on in and get heard. What you get, what you got. Oh, yeah, that's what I had had said. Yeah. You know, it's funny. when I was speaking with Chris Zorich last hour. If you look at Chris Zorich and his time with Notre Dame, his entire, speaking of midriff, his entire stomach was exposed every game. And that was a, a trend that started just really a couple years after I stopped playing. I'm lucky. Now, my jersey was not big enough to tuck in. It went down to the belt, and it stopped. So it was creeping up. (laughs) But the thing I hated about my time was that the sleeves went down past your elbows. Now, there's not only are they short, there's elastic built in. They go way up. They expose your entire arm. That's much better. That keeps your shoulder pads from going clop, 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 flopping around, flop. In fact, there were some linemen <clears throat> that tried to put in their own, um, whatchamacallit, elastic at the time. But uh, Zorich, about the same age as J.J. Stokes, and I talked about the same thing with him one time when he used to do a show after mine, and one time his co-host was stuck in a snowed-in city, and so I did three hours or four hours of him, whatever it was, and we just talked about <laughs> playing football in the 80s. And JJ Stokes, the whole time when he when he was at UCLA, his stomach was exposed. It was a. I can't believe we ever got there. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, there it is. I know you look back and go, "What the hell is going on? Why? Why was that a thing?" I, I don't know. But I. I'm glad I just barely missed it because you would have got your your whole stomach scraped up if you were lucky. All right. Uh, What are you talking about, Rick? We do have uh, some guests coming up. Christos Gage and also John U. Bacon. No, U. Bacon. No, you're schmoopy. No, you're schmoopy. John U. Bacon as well. What's he all about? He's an author. I'm Rick Tittle. We got open lines. Come on back.
20: Go to brightsidetaxrelief.com now
3: open lines this segment feel free to get in at 1-800-878-PLAY no alibis you're ugly we know about social media how intrusive it is we know that there are a lot of keyboard warriors there's a lot of buffoons that say a lot of mean things there's no doubt we know about the pressure that it causes we know about how the backlash and the crap talking and even Simone Biles went on her social media to say, if those of you who think I'm a quitter, check out my nine medals. I mean, even she's getting sassy with it. But at the U.S. Open, um, after Shelby Rogers lost to Emma Raducanu. She, um, and she was sort of taking the spotlight after her massive win against Ashley Barty, by the way, Ashley Barty's number one in the world. This tells you where women's sentences is that these aren't household names, but she said that she wished social media didn't exist. Her quote, obviously we appreciate the spotlight in those moments. In other words, when you win, But then you have today, and I'm going to have 9 million death threats and whatnot. It's very much polarizing one extreme to the other very quickly. You could probably go through my profile right now. I'm probably a fat pig and words that I can't say right now. But it is what it is. You try not to take it to heart, and it's the unfortunate side of any sport. And what we do, but it does get into your head sometimes, social media can't control what I'm doing and the way my training is going moving forward, but I wish it didn't exist. It's really tough. Now, an easy thing to say is don't look at it, don't have it, but she uses it for her marketing and her brand, so it's kind of detrimental to her to not do it. Um, and I get it. But remember Sloane Stevens, who was a former US champion, US open champion I should say, when she lost to Angelique Kerber in the third round, she said she got abusive and harassing messages too, calling it exhausting and never ending. And I just you know, there's always the whole freedom of speech thing. But remember when Kurt Schilling His daughter, this is, I don't know, about four or five years ago. His daughter was going to some college on a softball scholarship. And he tweeted, So proud of my daughter going to whatever school it was. And a guy tweeted, While she's there, I hope she gets raped. That was a response. The police hunted the guy down and charged him. With a uh, domestic violence charge. So, uh, but there's, which I'm glad they did find that. How can you say that about someone? I mean, if you despise Kurt Schilling and you want to say, I hope you get four flat tires on the road today, that's cowardly, but okay, you hate Kurt Schilling because of something he did in sports or his political views. But the whole thing about his daughter, I mean it's just but that kind of shows you where we are with social media at times. So <clears throat> just a reminder of, you know earlier I was saying, you know, Chase Garber's the quarterback of Cal, getting you know people changing his name to Chase Garbage. You know, where would, um, where would Bill Buckner be with social media? you know if that if that had happened, it was bad enough as it was for him, it was basically horrifying, <laughs> so I don't know i I just thought I would bring that up that women's tennis players are getting harried uh and harassed as well all right one eight hundred eight seven eight play one eight hundred eight seven eight seven five two nine um Bill Belichick, of all people, has opened up a little bit more about Cam Newton and him getting cut, and um, he said this today on WEEI Radio in Boston. Quote, it's always difficult when you have to reduce your roster. A lot of guys that worked hard, a lot of guys that performed well and either had good years for us or good careers. I respect all those things, but each year is its own year, and I have to do what I feel like is best for the football team. And so regards to every decision, that's what I try to do. It's always tough to tell guys who have worked hard and have given you all that they had that you're not able to keep them. And I have nothing but positive thoughts and feelings for Cam. He came in here. He worked hard. He gave us everything he had. Right now our future is going to be Mac Jones at quarterback and that's where it's going to go. Now, you might remember Belichick in 2001 put in uh, his second-year six-round pick Tom Brady as his starter because he played well in relief of Drew Bledsoe because he had that horrible chest injury. And, of course, they went on and won the Super Bowl. Everyone in New England hopes that that uh, goes out the uh, the same ray. Uh, for them, but what I think is interesting about the Cam Newton thing <clears throat> now is you have a report that Cam Newton didn't know the playbook and Mac Jones was teaching it to him. <laughs> what? Yeah, this comes from former Patriots linebacker Rob Ninkovich, and uh, he was on his own radio show, the Dan and Ninko. I'm sorry. The Dan and Ninco podcast. He said, from everything that I understand now, Mac was basically helping Cam learn the playbook. So imagine that, learn that, learn that right now, absorb it, learn it. Because Mac was having less MEs, mental errors. And that's what ME is in football, mental errors. He was having less mental errors and having a better understanding of the offense. We didn't see Cam run any two minute. We didn't see him run any no huddle. You have to run no huddle. That's vital, end quote. Well, listen, it's very easy to say that, you know, Cam Newton may have been a little bit lax, but he ran the offense all of last year, basically. Do you really think he doesn't know the playbook? Do you really think that when you kept the exact same coordinator and head coach in that they're changing the – uh, verbiage so much that the rookie is going to teach the vet. I mean, it's possible, but why are you going to show all your hands in the, why are you going to show your no huddle in preseason? If you're confident in it, why are you going to show your goal line offense? You know, why are you going to run your two minute drill? Uh, so it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a a dumb uh, thing to say. I don't like saying take because that's stupid. Uh, But look, there's no doubt that Mac Jones had strong uh, strong control of the offense. That's why he won the job. Um, Now, I have said that to me, Mac Jones is just some oaf that you can find in any draft. Not to say that he can't be successful or have a good career. And I'm not rooting against him. I was just telling Charlie that I was wrong about Marcus Simeon. I thought Marcus Simeon was just going to be a very average player. Not horrible, but not great. And he does he have? 35 home runs. Toronto is already trying to extend him over the weekend. They're trying to get him to sign a new contract. So, um, you know, to go to a place like that to play second base, it just seemed like kind of a weird thing to do. But uh, he's that was a very smart decision uh, by, by both parties now. And it must be fun to hit in a building with dead air like that. <laughs> it must be real fun. Uh, so anyway, we got uh, two more guests coming up on the other side if they show up. Otherwise, 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Violet.
1: 800-846-2153 800-846-2153 That's 800-846-2153
5: When do broadcasters go
21: too far? Where does hilarity stop and vulgarity begin?
9: Again, I used to sing dirty rap to my east side fans. Back then I knew you couldn't stop this rap. No MC could rock like that. Minister
11: the came, the bass got deeper. He gave up the mic and bought you a beeper. Do you wanna rap Don't ask Rick Tittle to bring it, because it already done got brought.
3: Welcome back to Sports Byline USA, coast to coast, border to border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show Christos Gage, and he's here to talk about Batman slash Fortnite, zero point. And uh, already those are two uh, different areas of the world, and the worlds are colliding here in a good way. Christos, tell us a little bit more, please.
26: Hi, yeah um th- first of all thanks for having me on um and so basically what it is is Fortnite is probably the biggest game in the in the world uh I'm terrible at it I, I when I play it I get my butt kicked by uh 10 year olds which you know uh is probably a common experience It happens, to try to sure. play it but <laughs> but um, it's got all these great uh, wild characters in it, and the premise of it is essentially, you know, you and people from all over the world are all on this island and you're fighting each other while this storm closes in and you have to uh, the idea is to be the last one standing. Um, so into this world, in this uh, book that's uh, coming out, we bring Batman, and uh, he's torn through a rift in space. He finds himself waking up on this island and he doesn't remember who he is and he can't talk. And, uh, he, every 22 minutes or so, the entire, you know, timeline resets. So, um, the cool thing about this book is, uh, if you like Batman, you'll enjoy it. If you like Fortnite, you'll enjoy it. And if you just like great, uh, art and story, uh, hopefully you'll also enjoy it. Um, and what attracted me to it, uh, is the idea of taking this character, Batman, who's the world's greatest detective and putting him in a situation where he literally doesn't remember who he is and, and everything resets, re- his memory resets every 22 minutes. So how does he figure his way out of that? It's got a little bit of the flavor of Memento, uh, the movie you may have seen. Um, and, uh, then as we go along, he figures a way out of, the, the loop, which is what that's called the every 22 minutes thing, and emerges onto the uh, island itself and starts to figure out things about how it works and who's behind it and figuring out how to um, how to get out along with a bunch of uh, uh, crazy and uh, badass characters from the game. So um, you know it's, re- it's really cool. Uh, it- it's been a big hit. Um, the individual issues and now the collected edition is coming out. Uh, and I just can't believe that uh, the folks at Epic Games, which uh, created Fortnite, w- let us make the revelations we're making in a comic book instead of in the game itself. But they did. So it's it's been a lot of fun.
3: It's a win-win. But so help me with this now. It, it, Batman, he is in the Battle Royale with the, the unicorns and everything else. He's just in it.
26: He's in it. And uh, also Catwoman is in it. And uh, they have you know a bit of a path together, but they don't. They don't remember each other, um, but one of the things about that we got to learn about Fortnite Island is that while memory is erased, emotion kind of sticks around. Uh, so they they have feelings about each other that uh, you know sort of draw them to each other, and they end up working together. Um, and another cool thing is that in the third issue, uh, which is probably the middle of the story in the book. Um, the people, the masterminds behind Fortnite Island bring in someone to slow Batman down, and that someone is Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, uh, which is just amazing because obviously Batman is owned by DC Warner Brothers and Snake Eyes is owned by Hasbro, and it's like a crossover, um, you know, that you wouldn't expect to see. Uh, and uh, that, that for me was one of the more cool moments of getting to do this
3: couple more questions here for Christos Gage uh, talking about Batman, Fortnite, Zero Point. So um, as a writer, and this is illustrated by Riley Brown, in your mind are you like doing little storyboards or is this something where you take the concept, you take the, the script and you hand it to the, to the illustrator? Uh, how does that all work together?
26: Well, it's really a collaborative effort. Um, I mean, so the story was worked out with me and Donald Mustard, who is the creative uh, chief creative officer of Epic Games and had the basic idea for what he wanted the story to be. I did an outline, and then I would write a script, um, which would break it down by page and panel. But, you know, it would be up to Riley, like, how how to show it, how to depict it, what angles to use. Um, You know, sometimes he would combine two panels or... You know, something like that, or he'd say, Hey, can I make this a, a two page spread? Meaning that you know, two pages run across lengthwise across two pages, um, rather than one page and then the next page. Um, so it's really everybody getting to do what they do best. Uh, and you know, ideally, w- with a creative team like that, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And you know, when the art would come back, quite often I'd be like, Oh, wow, Riley really knocked it out of the park. I, you know, I, I said. You know, I, I I wrote that this would happen, but the way he made it happen is was really amazing. Um, so,
3: yeah, and this includes seven DC themed Fortnite digital items. Tell us a little bit more about those.
26: Yeah, so those are uh, in-game items that you can use. Um, they range from. Uh, skins for your character so you can be Batman or Harley Quinn. Uh, there, there are weapons, there are gliders, um, you know, all the sorts of things that would, you know, normally be things that you might have to buy in the Fortnite store or whatever, but, uh, you get the codes, uh, free with purchase of the book. Um, so in addition to joining the book, you can, uh, or you or the Fortnite player of your, of your choice can use them and, uh, in the game, so.
3: I don't think I have ever seen, and we've seen some popular games. I don't think I've ever seen a game take off like Fortnite. I mean, one year after it came out, they had that pro am at E3 in L.A. Mm-hmm. And, you know, literally one, yeah, one one year later, and it's it's grown by uh, leaps and bounds. But when you write about batman that is a big responsibility because there are people their whole lives are batman and they would say things Mm -hmm. like he would he would do this he would never do that and so that must be mouth-watering to you that you have this responsibility and you have this power but what's it like when you're talking to batman aficionados who say i think you got him just right
26: oh it's always great when people think you've got you've got a character right and the uh editorial team at dc uh katie kubert our editor who's terrific uh and um you know she would if, if we ever got too far afield she would tell us but you know i've been reading comic books since the 70s uh so i you know i hopefully just by osmosis know what some of these characters would would do um so in in a way, I've been preparing for it all my life. It's the kind of thing like when you're a kid, and the P, your teachers and your parents are like, "Look, if you just if you just paid as much attention to your schoolwork as you do comic books and video games, you know, you could really go far in life." And it's like, "Who's laughing now, mom and dad? Who's laughing now?" <laughs> you know? Well,
3: it's also, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s with comic books, too, and I always thought it was interesting when it's a lettered by like the letterer, the guy, yeah. the guy or the yeah. gal who has to actually write the words, which is a huge talent that I think we don't appreciate a lot.
26: Absolutely. The words, the sound effects, and the balloon placement, which uh, draws your eye, you know, the order in which you read it. I mean, it's it's a it's a crucial part of it. And you're right, they don't get uh, as much credit as they should, nor do the colorists, uh, in our case, John Callas, who did an amazing job. And if you look at it, like, you'll notice that the, the very beginning is set in Gotham City, and it's colored very sort of dark and gloomy, you know. And then once they get to Fortnite Island, it's colored like like the game these bright flashy colors um and then there's this one page is probably my favorite page it's toward the end and it's like a bit of a retrospective of, of batman's career and each individual part is colored like the comics of that era. war so you know everybody in it really brings their a-game and and uh is a crucial part of the process
3: you know when i look at all the things that you've done writing for tv shows and video games and comics and such things did it's pretty much a, a dream job that a twelve year old uh, would would think of. Did did you have your own moment of see mom and dad? That's why I wasn't an accountant.
26: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I always do, and you know it's funny because they uh, on the like if if you had told me when I was fifteen, uh, you have to chop off your left arm. But you when by the time you're. And I don't want to say how old I am, but let's say I'm over twenty well over twenty one. Um, you know, you you will have done all these things. I'd be like, Okay, give me the knife, I'm gonna chop off my left arm, you know. Um, and uh I mean I can't, you know, I'm 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 really lucky to be able to do this for a living. Um, you know, of course, once you get to that age, you're like, Oh, I wish my back didn't hurt so much and you know, all this stuff. You can always find something to complain about, but really I, I have no complaints. I mean, this is you know, this is something I've been I've been uh wanting to do all my life and and have been lucky enough to do and work with great people too
3: well if you're ever afraid of you know sounding too old just remember how old stan lee was and people kept wanting stan lee so don't don't be too ashamed of it it's true yeah all right it's true uh, yeah i mean for sure christos yeah. gage has been our guest batman Fortnite crossover it's called batman a uh, zero point which he wrote illustrated by Riley Brown, and a concept and story consultation from the chief creative officer of Epic Games, as you mentioned, uh, Donald Mustard, which is available uh, right now. And uh, congratulations on it. That's very exciting for you, Christos, and um, going straight to strength with your career. Let's catch up on your next thing, man.
26: Sounds great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
3: All right. uh, No doubt it. And uh, as I said, uh, Christos, he wrote for uh, Spider-Man PS4, uh, that was his game. He's written for Spider-Man and Buffy in the comics. Uh, he's done Daredevil, SVU, Hawaii Five-O on TV. He's done a lot of stuff. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we will come on back on Sports Byline USA.
1: that's 800-306-1760.
17: I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. If you've had a revision or removal surgery of a hernia mesh implant after 2008, pay close attention to this message.
1: That's 800-817-2968 You've
18: been putting back a few and a few becomes a few too many. For a moment you think of calling for a ride but nah, you live nearby. What's the worst that could happen? You get pulled over, your insurance goes up, You lose your license, you total your car, you kill someone. The results of driving drunk are tragic. That's why law enforcement is out there looking for impaired drivers to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA.
16: New surveys show that Americans don't think vaccines are enough to protect themselves and others from COVID-19. 80% want thermometers used in public places to screen for COVID-19. 36% 36% know that non-contact devices are inaccurate and 60% would not recommend that friends or family members enter places that screen with them. To be safe, use Exergen at home, at work, and in public. It's the only thermometer proven accurate by more than 100 published clinical studies. Learn more at exergen.com.
19: It doesn't really matter. I uh, I don't like my job and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
11: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: Hey, thanks for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author John U. Bacon. He has a book that is out today, brand new, from Mariner Publishing. It's called Let Them Lead unexpected lessons in leadership from America's worst high school hockey team. Uh, I have no idea what this is about. I mean, I'm just saying, you walk into a bookstore, but I'm already on board. I I like the title, so you can go so many different directions. What was the genesis behind this project, John?
27: Uh, Well, the first part was coaching the worst team in America. (laughs) Without without that, Rick, the title's not going to get you very far, so... Uh, So, yes, in 2000, I took over my alma mater's hockey team, Ann Arbor-Huron River Rats. That is actually our name. I'm not making that up. Um, And they had not won a game in a year and a half. They ranked dead last out of 1,000 teams nationwide, incredibly. And the guy they hired to coach them, yours truly, happens to be the worst player in school history, Rick, and that is not false modesty. I still hold the record for the most games in a Huron uniform, 86, with the fewest goals zero, which no one can beat. So, <laughs> zero goals for the coach, zero wins for the team. Yes, this is a great combination. So, uh, But it worked. We basically ignored conventional wisdom at every turn. And three years later, we had passed 95% of the nation's hockey team. So, um, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe on Sunday called it Ted Lasso meets Mighty Ducks, and that's about right.
3: <laughs> well, th- this is probably a three-hour answer, but You say that you passed all these other hockey teams, and the question is, outside of just raw talent, why? How?
27: Uh, It definitely was not raw talent. I didn't cut one player from the winless team, actually. They all stayed on. So it was the same guys, more or less, who did it.
23: Mm
27: -hmm. Um, First thing I did, uh, Al Clark, my mentor at Culver Academy, the winningest high school coach in the nation, actually, um, told me the first thing you have to do at Huron is to make it special to play for Huron, and I cracked at eight. Right the worst team in America, that's pretty special. And he said, no, you've got to make it special by making it hard. It's the exact opposite advice that everyone else has given me. So we made it really hard. Uh, Four months of off-season workouts, I thought half the guys would quit. Not one guy quit. So all the stuff you hear about millennials and Generation Z, it's not true. They're not lazy and selfish and entitled. They're often unmotivated by what used to motivate us, which is pay and prestige and promotions. They don't buy that stuff. But if you give them a mission, they'll do it. Navy SEALs have got a wait list, so does the Peace Corps. And uh, so that worked. And next thing I did is I gave them the power to run their own team, and that also worked incredibly. So uh, those two things kind of changed the team.
3: You know, it's interesting it just as a parallel when I played uh, high school football in the 70s and 80s, my, you know, team was a California State Power and then when I was coaching, they had almost closed. They were basically, you know, about to uh, fold. And what I did was I think in 3 years of coaching I raised my voice maybe twice. I tried I just realized that most of the kids probably didn't want to be there. Their dads were forcing them. So I tried even though we had discipline, we had a lot of, you know, uh, physical drills, I tried to be more of a calm voice, because, you know, like Don Shula, Bill Walsh, you know, Tom, yeah. Tom Landry. Tom Landry, of course. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So for you, because, you know, the martinet, the drill instructor, is going to get phased out. How did you approach your alma mater?
27: That's uh, good insights, of course, and your background with the A's and the Raiders probably leads you to a lot of this as well. Um, I'd say there are two main approaches that businesses now take. The first one is the old one, the command and control, uh, as you say, the the puppet master and so on. No one's buying that anymore. It just doesn't work. The other one is the far more popular, of course, out in California, uh, the Casual Fridays, the Taco Tuesdays, the kombucha machines, (laughs) the beanbag shares. Hey, look, good news is your employees are going to love those things. The bad news is it won't make them work any harder. Mm -hmm. Um, So the third method is what I'm trying to sell here, basically, and that's the coaching model. And when you think back, I asked this question in Vancouver years ago, and I've since asked it all, over, all across the United States and in Sao Paulo and Santiago, Chile. Um, who, you, who is your favorite teacher? And it turns out, Rick, everybody in the entire world can come up with that answer in five seconds. Nobody ever hesitates. Mm-hmm. When I asked them who it was, it could be a third-grade teacher. It could be high school geometry. It could be college economics. It could be almost anything, anywhere. And I've asked the question in English, port the case in español, and never once has the answer been an easy teacher. I asked, was the teacher easy? And no, she or he was always quite demanding, but also at the same time uh, cared about them with incredible depth. So it's not a matter of balancing these two things. You need a 100% care and 100% um, have high expectations. And think back at that. What I'm trying to get people to do is coach the way your favorite teacher coached. That works.
3: Yeah, a couple more questions here for John U. Bacon, the new book, Let Them Lead, out today. It, it's so funny you mention that because, you know, as soon as you said that, I tried to think of my favorite teacher. And my favorite teacher in college was my German teacher, and she never spoke a word of English the entire time I knew her. <laughs> and it was sink or swim. But you know what? If she had coddled me, I, I don't think I would have learned.
27: Well, exactly. I'd call that sehr gut, but all the German I know. <laughs> but uh, my, I'm not fooling your listeners. But those stories come back and again and again. But I'm I'm sure, Rick, she knew your name, correct?
3: Yes, she did, yeah, Rehart.
27: There you go, Rehart. There you go and how you <laughs> pronounce it. She used to stay after school, I'm sure. She'd do whatever she could to help you. So that's the model that works the best. And uh, and the more we do that, the better off we're going to be. It also works, I've found, even better with women than it does with men. Um, like you said earlier about yelling. You yell, look, a high school hockey player, I'm sorry, a boy. i got to yell at some of these guys some of these times. Sure. Just them to realize that someone is trying to talk to them because they got an int of of styrofoam in their brains, basically, Mm -hmm. and I love them. But the women, you never yell at. You don't need to, and you'll lose them. There's just no need. Uh, What you really want to get is when they fear disappointing you. That's an internal conscience, not anything external. That's what you really want.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I remember speaking uh, with... uh, I wish I could remember his name now. I think it was... Uh, Confora, but he was the United States softball coach in the Olympics, and he also was at the University of Arizona, and he Mm. coached men's baseball, and he said the way he looked at it, and we're speaking in general terms here, but he said uh, when a man, he'll come to the park in a a good mood, but if he plays well, I mean, if he plays poorly, then he gets depressed and he hates himself. He said a woman, if she comes to the park in a bad mood, she's going to play poorly if she comes to the park in a good mood. She's not going to care and she's gonna, so in other words the way moods work, it's like they're the moods were affected almost in a different way. Um uh, but uh, that's a that's a topic for another day. Let's go <laughs> let's go into with you at Michigan just as an aside. Um you know with Harbaugh needing to beat, you know, uh you know, going to East Lansing and getting away obviously Columbus uh the Notre Dame thing uh, are you somebody who's like, hey, man, he's maize and blue, let's stick with our guy? Or are you sort of like, this is your last chance, Jim?
27: Well, full, disclo- full disclosure, I've written, as you know, three or four books about Big Ten football, including about Michigan. Mm-hmm. Harbaugh and I were actually line mates in hockey in eighth grade. Wow. So we both grew up in town. And all I can tell you, Rick, is that one of us is a great athlete, but I won't <laughs> tell you who. So. It's towards the end of the book. Maybe I've given that one away already. Yeah. Um, Look, I mean, betting against Jim Harbaugh, as you know from the Bay Area, is a dumb bet as a rule. Mm -hmm. He he was wildly successful at Stanford and the 49ers. Uh, At Michigan, of course, he stumbled last year, two and four, and it's been a a good but not great run at Michigan generally. Um, But the flip side is Ward Manuel, his boss, the AD, um, just changed his contract in the off season to give an extension. But the buyout is nothing by college football standards. It's four million, not 10 or 20 million. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of a year-by-year thing where he gets paid $4 million and $4 million in incentives. Uh, so it's about half of what he used to be guaranteed. So it's basically an at-will contract. So no matter what the AD says one way or the other, it's basically a do-or-die contract, I would say. So, um, you know, I-, I went to Michigan. I'm certainly – I love the school, but business is business, and that's where it's going to stand. You circled the two games. The games he's got to win, Washington although they just lost last weekend, as you know, yeah. which was very bizarre, and didn't, probably didn't help Michigan either. Um, and Michigan State, uh, Ohio State I'm sure is still a reach. If they win that one, it's an upset. Uh, but Michigan State, you got to handle that one in your backyard when they're still rebuilding. So those two games you can't win. I think he's got to win eight to keep the job.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. So I always feel like at Palo Alto, Ohio, that you know he and John would – getting a lot of fights, and, uh, you know, the dad True. was the coach. Was, was that the, the most jockstrap family you knew?
27: <laughs> and their daughter, by the way, is a pretty good Joni's a pretty good athlete, but the competitive one is the mom. Mm. I'm not kidding you. Uh, the little Italian woman, she's the tough one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And their fights around Ann Arbor, backyard fights, are still legendary. <laughs> um, so, I mean, people still talk about these things. So, yeah, they're insanely competitive. They're at their dad's bedside in a hospital in Milwaukee when he's recovering from open-heart surgery after a heart attack and they can't just sit there they both flew in from Baltimore and Michigan and they can't just sit there so they found a chess board and at three o'clock in the morning in the dark using the light from their phone they start playing chess either one's really a chess player but they can keep score so before you know it they're starting yelling and screaming at each other and that wakes their dad up and they said, hey by the way I'm the guy with a heart attack so these guys can't turn it off
3: Great, great anecdote there. Okay, before we leave, let's get back to the, uh, the book, Let Them Lead. What, what was the one thing when you, because this is all in your head, but when you put pen to paper, you sit down at the keyboard, what was the one thing that you kind of thought, wow, you know, I never even realized that till I started writing this?
27: I'll tell you what, a lot of it came back from the players themselves. What's kind of cool about this book, unlike most leadership books, is the people I try to lead uh, are the ones who wrote 150 pages uh, back to me Reminded me of things that I had said, I had done, or they had done, and I would, the book would be half as thick otherwise. It's just great stuff. Um, one of the things I did not realize was such a big deal for them is I actually did the workouts with them, uh, and that matters a lot to a 17-year-old, too, especially. Um, second thing, sadly, is when you chew a player out, you almost never remember it, but they almost always will. So mm-hmm. humility there, of course, goes, uh, goes a long way. But the biggest thing, I think, uh, that stayed with them Um, If you have two things going for you, your odds of success go up, and this is nothing to a talent. One, if you care about your people, and two, you don't care who gets the credit. If you do those two things, you're at least halfway there.
3: Great stuff from John U. Bacon. The book is called Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, available today from... Mariner Books, also available as an e-book and audio book as well. John, great uh, conversation, and uh, congratulations on the book.
27: Rick, thank you so much.
3: All right, appreciate it. I'm Rick Tuttle. We'll take a quick break. Come on back.
1: That's 800-410-4771.
7: Business heals all wounds. I mean, look at our relationship with Germany or Japan. Who can even remember what all the fuss was about? (laughs)
11: tittle. You done broke my heart, but I still take you back. You hella fine.
3: All right. uh, How about that? By the way, on the show tomorrow, Shaquille O'Neal is scheduled to appear. Uh, Shaq has never been on any show here on the network, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, One more note. Um, Despite reports of a a holdout by T.J. Watt With the Steelers, Mike Tomlin today, the Steelers head coach, says that uh, week one, when they face the Bills, that uh, he will be ready. The only thing is, is that uh, Watt has not participated in any drill the entire summer. He wants a long-term contract. He's playing under his fifth-year option as a first-round pick. He continues to skip out on team drills. Uh, And uh, it's a weird thing because it's not really a holdout, but it is a holdout. I mean, he's there. He just won't do any team drills. He'll only do individual drills. It's very weird. I'll work out with the linebackers, but not the team. Do you know what you're voting for here? (laughs) Um, Tomlin said, I remain optimistic something is going to get done on a deal perspective. I'm proceeding with the assumption he's going to work tomorrow and he gets to add to his talents to that collection. Uh, So, listen, um, Tomlin said in his mind, uh, T.J. Watt is basically uh, Aaron Donald. And what he meant by that was, Aaron Donald held out almost the whole year with the Rams, remember, before they finally gave him his long-term deal, and then he became the defensive player of the year, and the Rams got to the Super Bowl. So that's what he meant by that. By the way, almost a second-round pick. He was the 30th overall pick. 49-and-a-half sacks. This is a guy I wanted the Raiders to take, but uh, they decided, ah, we don't need him. We'll take Dick Hurts and then cut him. I think it actually—I think that actually was his name. I think it was Dick Hurts, and then they cut him. All right, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as I mentioned, Shack Attack tomorrow on the show. Coming up next, more sports talk on Sports Body in the USA.